It has been a long time since we have physically been together except for the six of us in this room right now, those uh, who have joined together so that we can produce this live Sunday morning worship experience. During this time of COVID-19 that you've been locked in your house, I keep reading about people who have challenges sleeping uh, at night uh, for a variety of things. They wake up with things on their mind. I have been mostly fortunate during this time because my rhythm of life, my practices, uh, my trusting myself to God a number of times per day as I sit and as I lay down at night usually means I sleep pretty well. I can count three times during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic when I couldn't sleep. And last night was one of them. Last night, I, uh, I fell asleep like a rock at, uh, at uh, 10 o'clock, 10, 12. We went to bed. I, it doesn't take me long to fall asleep. I rolled over at 3.12 this morning, and I looked at the clock. And there's this brief moment. Let me tell you, don't let a thought in. Don't let a thought in. But there's a brief moment when if I had not let the thought in, there would have been no problem. But I let the thought in, and it created anxiety, and it created uh, revisitation of my own self-image and all of the kinds of things. And you feel pretty defenseless about it at 3.12 in the morning. I'll just tell you right now. I'm laying there. Linda's laying next to me, and uh, I'm trying not to move too much. I was so non-moving that I convinced my Apple Watch that I was still asleep until like, it, it thinks I slept until 4.22. I know better, uh, but apparently it thought I kept sleeping then, which is good uh, for my Apple Watch, but not for me. Uh, anxiety, struggles, uncertainty, the challenges of this time, Make it difficult. Make it really difficult. So I'm excited, actually. We're transitioning from the story, by the way. I'm not excited about losing sleep last night. I'm still feeling just a little bit off my game this morning. Um, we're transitioning because for the next five weeks, including this morning, we are going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew for some stories that the wonderful and powerful storyteller Matthew, uh, the Matthean community, shared with each other to give one another comfort. And we're going to look for the comfort, for the encouragement, for the hints about how we're meant to live in these stories from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Today we're going to look at uh, a section in uh, chapter 14. So if you want to turn in your Bible, you're welcome to. You can look at it online, biblegateway.com or .org or .net or Bible Gateway. As soon as you type it in, it'll find it for you. Is a place that you can find it if you want to look online to see this. But the scripture comes from Matthew chapter 14, and I'm reading uh, verses 22 through 33. Jesus has just, by the way, fed the somewhere between five and 20,000 people who had gathered 
uh, with just five loaves of bread and two fish. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. But by, the time, by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out and caught him, saying, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When, you got into the, when, when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the gospel message for this morning. Praise be to God. I've preached about this probably once or twice in my 28 years at St. James, and I've heard it preached a number of times. In fact, I uh, came across recently when I was getting rid of all of my early sermons from the 1980s, I came across uh, a message, uh, and I got rid of all of those sermons, but... uh, It was entitled, Don't Be Afraid to Walk on the Water, because I was convinced the story at that time in the 1980s, when I was in my early 20s, was about Peter walking on the water. That's what I was convinced the story was about. In fact, in many Bibles, maybe in yours, the subtitle is, Peter Walks on the Water. I don't think that's what the story's about anymore at all. I I, I don't. I want you to look at the story with me for just a moment. And I want you to hear the power of this text for the community that would have been hearing it. By the time this text was being written down, and if you want to, you can think of each one of the gospel messages as like a long sermon. Longer than mine, but not by much, some people would say. Uh, You know, uh, they're long sermons, a stringing together of all the stories of Jesus to give the community hope and strength. And the Matthean community are master storytellers. Now, by the time these are being written down in this this form, they had been passed along orally for a long time. Maybe some things were written down, but mostly it was passed along orally. Uh, People talking and telling the stories and drawing strength from the stories. When you hear the story told, not just read, it is powerful. But they needed to remember those stories because times were getting tough. By the time this gospel is written, it's probably, it's after the year 70, 
and maybe as late as the year 90. So Jesus has been dead and resurrected for somewhere between 40 and 60 years. That's a long time. You know, we think 2,000 years ago. We think of the historical Jesus 2,000 years ago. That's when he was. This was 40 years. That is more than a generation to the folks who lived in those days. You know, they didn't live all that long. So they're trying to find comfort because by this time, uh, Christians have become the scapegoats of the empire. We are always looking for somebody to blame all of our problems on. And for the Roman Empire, Christians seemed pretty good. Plus, it's pretty entertaining to watch them be eaten by lions, apparently, to those first century Romans, uh, first and second century Romans. And so uh, by this time, they're being blamed for all the problems of the empire. It's kind of the way we blame all the immigrants right now. Uh, it's, a, it's an opportunity to point our fingers at somebody, and leaders are pretty good at pointing fingers at everybody else but themselves when there's a problem. So Christians are being persecuted, and the church is struggling. Now, I want you to hear this story and the power of this story, not only for the literal things that happened in it, but for the symbols that are all around in this story. Since the earliest days of the church, the symbol of a boat is the symbol of the church. It is a wash on the sea. And what is the sea a symbol of? It is a symbol of chaos. A symbol of chaos. Now, what will be interesting for you to know is that here in chapter 14, this is the very first time in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus sends the disciples off by themselves. Prior to this, they've never gone by themselves. The last time they had a boat incident in chapter 8, Jesus was with them, and they still weren't okay. Jesus was asleep in the boat, and they all freaked out and woke him up, and he's like... I'm here, and you can't even be happy. So this is the first time they're on their own. Now, imagine that first church hearing these stories. They feel kind of like they're on their own. They hear the stories of Jesus. They hear how powerful he was and all the healing he did and how he was an inspiring presence, and they're trying to be the church in the midst of all of the struggles and chaos around. So they hear this story. Jesus sent them on ahead, sent them out to be apostles. You know, when you send somebody, the word apostle just means to be sent. Sent them out ahead of him. And as he sent them out into the chaos, all they had between them and the chaos was this boat. And they are fighting the wind, they are fighting the waves. And in the middle of that chaos that they're fighting, and they might be fighting each other. I mean, there were a couple of disciples who were uh, trained at going to sea. But the Sea of Galilee, despite the fact that for many people they think of it as a great big lake, because of its situation between uh, a mountain range, whoosh, a storm could blow right over the mountain range, and it is dangerous, as dangerous as any place. It's only a couple of miles across in some places. But you might not get to the far side, and the disciples still hadn't. So Jesus comes walking to them on the waves. 
on the sea, on the chaos. Jesus is above this chaos, coming to them in the boat. In the dark night, in the, in the darkest parts of the night, uh, based on the language of the text, it's somewhere between the first watch of, of the night, somewhere between midnight and 3 a.m. It's dark. You and I think about, you know, we got street lights, we've got flashlights, we've got lights everywhere. It is dark. If the moon's out, you might have some light, and there's some stars, but it's pitch black. You can't see much. And so you can imagine, if you see somebody walking on the water, first of all, that doesn't happen very often. Let's just be straight about that. That does not happen very often. So it freaks you out. And you think, who can walk on water? It must be a ghost. <laughs> You're already wicked afraid of the waves, and now you got something else to be afraid of. <laughs> a ghost is coming at you. What else can go against us? But Jesus says, and they recognize his voice. This is important. Don't be afraid. It's me. The funny thing is, the phrase he uses in Greek is, I am. I am. Not it is I. That's a good translation. Don't get me wrong. But he says, I am. The same, the same words used to refer to God in Exodus 3.14. When Moses asked God's name, God says, I am who I am. Jesus says, here I am. It's me. Now, Peter, Peter, Peter is really in this story. Can we be honest about Peter? It's not about how brash and wild he is. Peter is every disciple. In this story, he's any disciple, every disciple who wants to test the waters. If it's really you, do you know the only other time in the Gospel of Matthew that if it's really you, that exact phrasing happens? Chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness and he is being tempted by the tempter. If it's really you, turn the stones into bread. If it's really you, throw yourself off the temple. God will save you. If it's really you, the tempter is the only one who's ever asked Jesus, if it's really you, give me proof. Prove who you are. Peter may not be really just wanting to walk on the water. He may just want to test this, this ghost. If it's really you, show me a work of power. See, in the end, that's not what Jesus is about. Jesus wants these folks to gather up the faith that will carry them through. It's not about constant miracles. Do you know what most of the year is if you are following the Christian calendar? It's called ordinary time. Why? Because that's most of our lives, ordinary, every day. We'd really like a miracle right now. Could we be honest? I mean, we'd like a miracle. We'd like the pandemic to disappear. Just go away evaporate, but it's not. So we have to take it seriously. We have to take it seriously. Peter says, if it's really you, pass my test. Now, how many times have you bargained with God? If it's really you, if you really want me to do this, I want you to open up the cloud and talk to me. I want you to speak in the burning bush that's not really burning. 
I want the, whatever the next person says to me, that is going to be a word from you. Or if you're like me at various points in my spiritual life, I pick up the book, open it up. Surely this has got a word for me. Be pleased, O oh God, to deliver me. Make haste to help. Well, that works for me. Today that works for me. This must be God's word for me because I popped it open and I tested to see if God was really there. And sometimes you open up to some really interesting passages in there that you want to magically be what God's saying to you right now. Now, I'm not saying it might not be, but it might also be wishful thinking on your part. We are constantly testing God. Now, what the good news for you is God is up for the test. God is going to love you whether you try to test God or not. God just may not give you what you're looking for. Now, in this case, God says, well, Jesus says to Peter, come. And so Peter steps out of the boat. You know where he would have been safer? In the boat, where all the other disciples were in the church, in the place of safety, but he's decided he's going to look for Jesus outside of the building. Jesus has got to be out there somewhere. So he gets out of the boat. And for a moment, it's okay. And then he loses sight of Jesus. And he starts to sink. And he calls out. You know, a very early Christian prayer that's repeated over and over again, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Jesus doesn't grumble. He just reaches out his hand, grabs him, pulls him up. Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Now, what's interesting here is this, is the only, this, this word for doubt is only used twice in the New Testament, and it's both times are in Matthew, and it doesn't mean cynically questioning. It means vacillating. It means, oh, one minute you're really faithful, one minute you're really not, one minute you're really faithful, one minute you're not. You know what this is really about? It's a reminder. Faith is a verb. It is not a quantity I can hand you. I can't turn around here, pick up this jug as if it contained faith. It doesn't contain anything but air right now. But magically, if this contained faith... I could hand it to you, and you could carry it around with you. I've got some. Or maybe you could pour your, put your hand here, and I could pour a little bit into your hand. You could carry it around with you all the time. But you know how you have faith? You exercise it. You practice it. You keep practicing it. This morning, I have to tell you, when I got up out of that bed, I was having a terrible time practicing my faith. Why? Because I was wicked tired. <laughs> I didn't sleep last night. I let little tiny piddly things go around and around in my brain. Things that did not matter in the greater scope of things. But they had me. So I got out of bed at my normal time. I laid there until 5 o'clock and my watch went off telling me, you slept really poorly last night, James. I'm giving you a 54. <laughs> yeah, I know. Thanks. But you slept until 412. No. I didn't, but that's okay. You go for it. I went downstairs. I had a cup of coffee. 
I sat in my chair and I said, God, I don't know what today is going to hold because I am already tired. I felt so clear about the message yesterday. I need your help. <laughs> and you know what? I always need God's help. You know, I might as well have said, Jesus, save me. <laughs> Jesus, save me. And then I sat centering prayer. I drank a second cup of coffee. I drank a third cup of coffee. Um, and I looked at this text. Why do you vacillate? The only way for us to keep faith is to keep practicing. We practice by praying. We practice by trusting in the long, slow work of God. Teilhard is exactly right. We don't like the in-between space. We don't like intermediate. We want to be done. I've got a picture. This is what the picture looks like. This is where I want to be. Well, I'm not there yet. I no longer am sure what the picture is going to look like. What are we like? It feels like six months, five months into the pandemic now, and we're kind of all online. And I don't want to rush getting you all back because I want you to be safe. And so we're trying to figure out some ways for that to work out in ways that would be as safe as possible. Is anything in life safe? That's a good question. I don't know. What does this text teach us as the church today in the midst of a pandemic where we can't meet together, where we miss each other? You heard it in Bill and Sharon's voice. They miss us. We miss them. What are we going to do? Well, first of all, we need to trust that no storm and no wind is going to keep Jesus from getting across the chaos in our lives to us. Trust. It did not matter that there were wind and waves and chaos all around and that the boat was making no progress. Sometimes we wonder, is the church making any progress? Is the boat going anywhere? Jesus will move whatever it takes to get there. Jesus sends us out into the world, trusting that we'll do our very best to make a difference where we are, that we are the proclamation of the word of God. We are the proclamation of the word of God. We are meant with our love and our hope and our struggles in the midst of it all to practice our faith in such a way that it hits the world. But Jesus will not, having sent us out there, leave us without coming to us. There is no chaos that will keep him away. But perhaps the second lesson is that we have to practice our faith. And it's more important than any other thing in our lives is, is to practice that faith. And I want to tell you right now, it is hard practicing faith. You know, before we could at least gather in the same room, have a cup of coffee together, chat with the people we loved, hear a message, sing some songs, share communion. Now all of those things are just not part of our lives. We sit in our living room or in our computer room and watch this video and wonder how we can be church. Keep practicing your faith right where you are. 
right before worship, a person practiced their faith, walked up to our front door, and brought a bag of groceries for the West End Food Pantry. Yesterday afternoon, Instacart brought boxes and bags of groceries to our house. That's a practice of faith. Holding on in this storm is hard, especially when you don't even have each other in the boat. You feel like you're not even in the boat. At least you picture this is the boat. And we're not in the boat together. You're where you are. You're where you are. You're where you are. We're six of us in this room. And yet there is no distance God will not go for you. And if the spirit is as big as I think the spirit is, wherever you are, you are church now. You are loved now. You have a calling on your life now. Hang in there. We are in this together. It is hard. But God won't leave us alone. Christ will come to us across the chaos. Don't vacillate. Do your best not to vacillate. Practice. And when you can't practice, perhaps the best prayer, my favorite prayer from the entire Bible, it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 9. Jesus has been on the mountain transfigured. He comes down the hill and the disciples have been unable, the ones left behind, have been unable to heal a man's son. And Jesus asks him if he believes. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. That is my daily prayer, sisters and brothers. I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. I struggle, I struggle, God. And you have never left me alone, except in my own mind. In reality, you are closer than my breath, than the winds of chaos. Trust. Trust, my friends. Pray. And when you can't pray anymore, steal Mark's prayer. <laughs> I believe, help my unbelief. Steal Peter's prayer. Jesus, save me. 